You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. What's up, everybody? Thanks for coming back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 91 Today, I am joined over the phone by my esteemed co-host with technical difficulties, Jake Gaylord. How's it going, Jake? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. It seems like I have technical difficulties about every time we try to do this thing, but it is what it is. Isn't there, there's got to be reliable internet in Vanita, right? What do you got? Uh, supposedly, I have it. I mean, I pay, I pay 91 bucks a month. No, you do not. I do. 91 a month. I don't pay 91 a month. 91.50 a month. I pay 80 a month and I have two gigabytes per second. Well, like I said, Oklahoma's better than Texas, ain't it? They're bringing the horse and buggy out there to wire your internet up. Yeah, I think they just try to like throw some gerbils on like a spinning wheel and and I guess they're tired right now. I don't know. Holy. Um, Well, so today's episode is going to be a hunt talk episode for people that have listened to the podcast before. They probably already know what that is, but for you that are new and maybe came over from YouTube or came over from TikTok. What we do on the hunt talk segments of the show is we basically just recap a recent hunt that we had, talk about what worked, what didn't work, and why we thought we were able to get it done. So today, we're going to be talking about uh, my remote's recent Texas turkey hunt, and the video is actually up on YouTube. Had a uh, one-morning turkey hunt in Texas and was able to get it done. So we're going to do that. We'll talk about the hunt talk, that on Hunt Talk, and then after that, we'll introduce the new portion of the show that we alluded to on TikTok, which is the new Q&A format where every week we're going to take three to five questions from the audience and answer those the best we can on the podcast. You ready to get going, so, Jake? So basically, it's tick talk Talk. T-A-L-K? Yeah, yeah. tick talk Exactly. Yeah, this is TikTok. <laughs> let's get into it. All right, let's roll. Um, how we want? How do we want to start this? Just a little background, I guess, on the place that uh, that I went turkey hunting. This is yeah. I, we never released a video about me Texas turkey hunting, did we? Like before this one? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. No. Well, this place that I was hunting um, was on the Sayers Ranch. So Cooper was telling me he listens to the podcast quite a bit. So what's up, Cooper, if you're listening? Uh, Cooper and Chili, which are really good family friends of um, Lauren's family and now good friends of me, invited me out to their, they got about a 500-acre ranch uh, out in the hill country. It's over by Willow City, um, which for people that are from Texas, I know a good part of our audience is from Texas, over by Frederick Fredericksburg. It's like, uh, Jake, you don't know, but you're not from here or live here, but there's a little town called Fredericksburg and it's like a big hot spot for like wine tours and stuff. And uh-huh. yeah, like that's where people go for like the weekend to hang out and drink a bunch of wine. But anyways, that's where I was hunting. I had hunted this place several times in the past and it just seemed like we could never get it done. Like one of the times a couple years ago, Chili and I were hunting and I called in three toms and we had wait, we waited like 15 minutes and Chili was like, all right, let's, let's stand up and sneak up. And dude, the second I stood up these three toms, I see three redheads stick out of the grass and I was like, oh no. And then they just turned and sprinted away. But 
that that's my previous experience with the property. We've always got close, but have never never been able to get it done. Hmm. But it changed this time, huh? <laughs> but it but it changed this time. So when we showed up this time, uh, Chili and Cooper had told me that they saw a group of birds over by this pond dam that had kind of ran across the pond dam when they showed up right before dark and they heard a quite a few birds on the roost. So we sent Cooper over to the spot that we thought was going to be the better, the better of the two. And that was where I've seen a lot of birds in the past, pretty much the only area of the ranch that I've hunted. It's kind of, it's right on the river. So it's like gorgeous. Um, it's so fun to hunt over there, but Chili and I went the opposite way and where that group of birds had run onto the neighbor. And, um, so we set up and at, literally as we're walking in, um, it's five 50 in the morning. And I was, I was telling them like, we want to be set up before six, like right at six. I'd like to be sat down decoys out, ready to go. Because once those birds wake up on the limb, it seems like they're looking like now they're awake. Now they're looking on the ground for things. And if you're walking around when they're awake, it's just not a good scenario. Um, kind of like those dudes did to us on public land when we were already set up and working that bird. You remember that? Oh, those, uh, those, uh, goofballs that walk behind us. Yeah. How we're complete. We were completely set up on that bird, have him gobbling on the limb. And then those dudes mm -hmm. walked like 20 yards behind us. I I'm almost 90% sure that's the reason that we didn't end up getting that bird. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we had them, we, uh, well, I guess you had them, uh, striking up probably, I'd probably say over a hundred times before he even jumped down off the, uh, off the limb. But, uh, even after he jumped down, he just kind of hang out like, like inside the thicket a little bit, just basically calling to us like, come on, come over here, come over here. Yeah. Like for everyone that's listening, we, we had a bird that we roosted on public a few years ago and uh, we had two people walk right behind us at pretty much daylight. And this bird was still in the tree and watched them walk by us. And we were still trying to kill the bird, but I think they ended up running it for us. So well, I say all that. In, hold on. But, before we go any further, I just want to, I just want to tell you how big of, I don't know whether I want to cuss on this or not, but how big of a shitstorm that trip was. It was, yeah, it was. Because after we roosted the bird, we walked. I'd probably say, I mean, we got back late, at like like because we roosted, and I think it was, I don't know, it was like probably close to midnight, wasn't it? I think it was like Sonic was still open. I think we got, I think it was like 10 o'clock when we got back to the okay, truck. Okay. Okay. Well, not, but so we roosted the bird and then on our way back, we got met by those group of, uh, hog hunters. Remember? Yep. And, uh, we had a little altercation with them, but it couldn't have been that big of an altercation because there was only two of us and about a convoy of them, like literally four trucks with dog beds. And there was probably 10 or 12 of them. Yeah, and they were like, y'all are trespassing. And literally, we're parked right in front of a WMA parking sign. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we had to deal with that. We got ran off. And then we went to Sonic, came back, and then on like maybe maybe like three hours of sleep, walked, had to park at a different location, walked a mile and a half in. And then had those guys do the same, do that to us. And then, yeah, and then parked. 300 yards away from the tree we were at walk in and ruin the hunt for us. 
Well, there's so, another there's even another layer to that where I, we don't have to talk about it for too long, but basically what had happened is these are all little oil roads that are owned they should be owned and managed by the state and they're basically mm -hmm. easements that allow you to get onto a landlocked WMA. So this portion of the WMA is completely landlocked except for this one place that you can drive through and it's easement. Well, what happened is the the state doesn't want to manage these easements and manage these roads. So they give the the management of it back over to the landowner. And the landowner, I think it was this person's grandpa or this person's family had owned the land, the guys that were hog hunting down there. They said that their family owned the land. And us driving through that was trespassing. And it made no sense because we drove into a parking lot. Why is there a parking lot if you have to trespass to get to the parking lot? That makes yeah. no sense. That, like, that, I, no sense at all. And – also, the freaking game wardens down there didn't didn't help us any. We called three, I think, three game wardens. The first one was like, "Oh yeah, that ain't our jurisdiction." Second one, "Oh yeah, that ain't ours." And then the third one, we finally got a hold of, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, uh, we've had problems. We we we've had run-ins with that." But uh, basically, long story short, he just he just straight up didn't know. And then we were like, "Well, isn't it illegal to run dogs on public land?" During turkey August, or deer season. Uh, during turkey season, he was like, "Yeah, and me and me and my partner need to go over there and and set up and try to catch them." And we're like, "Well, they're here right now doing it." Yeah, no need to set up. I see them. Yeah, and he's just like, "Well, you know, I'm," I, which I get it. Like, like uh, apparently his wife was out or something like that, and uh, he was he was at home watching his kid, and like, so I get that, but it's just like, uh. I thought game wardens were supposed to stop stuff like that, especially during during season, but it's whatever. Well, that's their busy season. It'd, it'd be like, hey, uh, I got someone breaking my house, and I'm whooping their ass right now. Are you going to come deal with this? If I called the cops, and they'd be like, ah, I can't right now. I'd be like, right. okay. <laughs> Between uh, probably 3 o'clock today and uh, next Sunday. Yeah, well, you want me okay. to deal with it? or I mean, because that could have been a really bad situation out there because those guys were absolute tool bags. Yeah, no. For sure, but anyways, regardless. To, so yeah, about we, we didn't want to. I didn't want to have one of those situations um, where I'm someone's walking around and uh, someone being us and spooking these birds off the limb. So we get in plenty early. I'm walking and literally we get probably 80 yards from the house and I just hear and I'm like, oh, we're late. And I look at my phone, 5:50. These birds are gobbling at 5:50, and it's not dark. It's not light, uh, like shooting light until 640. And I was like, man, this is an hour before shooting light. They're hammering. And me and Shelly were like, should we keep working deeper into the property? These birds are on the neighbors at this point. And we're like, I don't really want to try to set up on a bird that's on the neighbors. So I'm like, let's keep going deeper in the property. As we walk, we walk a little bit farther, probably 50 more yards. And it's like, bah, 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 bah. and I'm like, oh, those are different birds. And so we're like, let's just set up right here. You know, we're within 200 yards. We'll set our decoy up, you know, give some soft calls once they get off the limb and maybe we'll have a shot at them right here. And um, as we sit there, we hear hundreds of gobbles over the next like 30 minutes before these birds get off the limb. And there was probably 10 or 12 different toms gobbling. Like uh, there were some jakes in there as well. You could kind of tell there were some immature gobbles in that bunch, but they were all throughout this uh, river bottom. And we sat and called. None of them ever came in, but 
you know those really soft hen yelps i, I kind of think they do this once they get off the limb immediately they instead of like really cutting hard they're just like oh yeah real real soft well that's what i was doing because i'm like there's not a roost tree by us so let's not get too aggressive with the calling we just want them to know that we're over here and i started to do that and i'd call every 15 minutes or something and at one point i hear and i'm like oh that, that you know that hen's coming in softly and i turn to my right there's a hen standing five yards away and she's no. just staring into my soul <laughs> like five yards away and when as i moved i didn't move fast but when they're five yards away you can see a, a great a, a blade of grass move so she's like looking at me she's like what is that and i was i sat there still and then chili's like kind of moving around and i'm like stop and he's like what and i'm like five yards and he's like really and i'm like yeah and so we sat there um they were at five yards and we just had a, a stare off for a couple minutes and eventually they didn't run off but they kind of were like let's work off a little bit and then they worked off to about 80 and then they were comfortable again and they were calling and all that stuff. Well, that scared me. And I was talking to Chili and I was like, how aggressive do you want to get? And he's like, man, I really just want to shoot one. Like, I don't, I, was, I said, are you willing to mess it up to, to go after one? And he said, absolutely. So I was like, that's all I need to know. So you all did the same style in Texas like we did at Jesse's. Exactly. Uh, okay. The run, that run and gun style, no decoys, just calling that that sort of thing that's what we decided to do but we take one step up we stand up and i see two gobblers 200 yards away and huh. they, they've already worked more towards where those hens are and the one that i saw 12 inch plus beard minimum we're 200 yards away no binos and i can see his beard like dragging the ground it is thick and i'm like all right we're gonna circle all the way around these birds like probably half a mile around them we're going to make sure we get way in front of them and we're going to come up from a, a different angle and we're going to strike them up and what chili and cooper have been telling me is these birds gobble for like 30 minutes off the limb right after sunrise and then they quit and i'm like yeah like most turkeys do that you know they gobble right off the limb and then once they get away from their hens they'll start gobbling again once you strike them up but they're not going to just gobble on their own and mm -hmm. i don't think they knew that and so after we circled all the way around, you know, we're calling incrementally and I'm like, let's, let's peek over this ridge where these ones that uh, were, were headed on. And as we circled, it took us probably an hour and a half to circle all that way. Cause we're going pretty slow and watching and glassing as we're going. And we pop over this ridge and I hit just a, like I said, a real light yelp. Cause I don't know if they're 50 yards away or 500 yards away. And on the first yelp I hit, we, we were like, I put my call back in my bino harness and I hear, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. So we sneak up like 50 yards, sit down in this bush, we get situated and I'm, and I'm not even calling at this point, And I just still hear him. And they, they kept doing that. And we set in, got situated in this bush. There was two shot angles, one in the front, one to the left. I got in with the camera first and got in the left one. I was, and it sounded like they were going to come from the front. So I thought I put Chili in the position to shoot. And I was just going to try to follow him up. But I start, I just kept doing that soft call and they would just, they'd call, they'd cut me off as I was calling, just gobble, like hammering. And, and eventually we could tell there's more than one. Mm. And, they ended up working into like 20 yards and at, at 25, 20, 25 yards, they're behind a set of bushes and they're still just, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And Chili's like eyes are like the size of dinner plates. Cause he's never seen a Turkey goblin like that up close. 
Really? And no, not up close. You know, you hear them from a ways off and it's cool. But yeah. when you see, see and hear them up close, you're like, that is freaking awesome. And I'm just, I, I went silent on them. Like the last 10 minutes they were coming in, I just went silent. And later Chili and I were talking about that. Like, why do you go silent on them? Like, I want them to think I'm the girl at the prom that everybody wants to get with that, that they can't have. And I just go completely silent on them because if you're the girl that is the hen that is constantly like, I'm over here, I'm over here, come get me, come get me. That's not how it really works out in the wild. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to like beg for it. And it, mm-hmm. it seems, and it gives your location away. Like if they're under a hundred yards and you're calling, they can tell the tree that you're at. And so I went completely silent and they could not stand it. Here comes three of them. And the first one walks in and he takes the left side and he's probably got, he has a a 10 inch beard. The the third, the second one comes in. I can tell behind him. He has at least a 12, possibly a 13, probably the biggest beard I've ever seen in the wild. And the third one has another probably 10 inch beard. We've talked about this, I think a little bit. And I told Chili beforehand, I was like, man, I want to pull a double, but I am not a greedy person when it comes to Turkey. I don't, we don't get to turkey hunt enough where we can be like, oh, I'll pass that one. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just try it again. Like, yeah. no, that's not how we hunt turkey. So that first one came in and you can see it in the video. I turn around as the first one's walking in and I'm like, I'm going to shoot this one. And then I'm going to hand you this gun and I want you to stand up and shoot at him. Cause his gun had a modified choke. He had like a 30 yard range. And so that first one comes in and stops. You can see it in the video. His head pops up, boom, just roll him. And then I handed the gun to Chili, and that second, it was that second one, the one with like the 13 inch beard that was, he, he was probably out at 50 yards at that point. He's like, shoot that far one. I was like, give it a shot. You know, I got a, I got a heck of a choke tube in there and I'm shooting that federal TSS that's 15 bucks a shot. Um, and he tried to poke one at, at 50 and, uh, it was just high, you know, but those standing up rush shots, those are, it's hard to shoot off your knee and shoot an accurate shot, let alone standing up trying to freehand the shotgun on a turkey head. So that uh that was basically that was basically the hunt. Like and he I think it was a very um not only did I learn the chili learn a lot, I I was affirmed in what I already knew about turkey hunting and it made me more confident in kind of that style of hunting and kind of had to get it done on the run and gun. It was it was freaking awesome. You know what I learn every time I, I hunt turkey? That you don't want to go back? No, no, not that. It's just that deer hunting's better. It's definitely better. <laughs> I mean, I hate no. I mean, it's all fun, and I know we talked about this before. Like, like it's all fun and stuff, but man, I'll just take a turkey if it's like opportunity based. I will not. I will not travel a far distance to hunt turkey. That's that's for sure. No, our we've talked about it. Um, that we have a particular friend, Jairs, Jake Ayers, that is a turkey nut and is willing to go all over the country as far as flying to Florida to hunt turkeys. If you're listening to this podcast and you're looking for turkey hunting advice, this is not the one. We we do not hunt turkeys like that. It's like a, I would say we're, it's like an opportunity thing. If the opportunity is there, we will do it, but we will, we do not seek it out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But hey, you got it done. You learned a little bit more. And uh, 
I'd, I'd count that as taking someone hunting. So, I mean, it's a win-win. Yeah, win-win. And and I got to knock out, uh, knock out that that second state for for a bird. So I've officially shot a turkey in Oklahoma and Texas, and I've shot deer in Oklahoma and Texas bucks. So just mm. state by state, baby, knocking them out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Will I ever travel again and hunt turkey? Maybe Jake and Air, Jake Ayers and I might go to Mississippi to settle the score with those ones that we had a couple years ago. But other than that, probably not. Jake Ayers is pretty pretty. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Convincing. He's pretty convincing, and he's very confident in his skill. And if you gave me any person that I know and said, "You got three days to kill a turkey. Drop him off in the middle of nowhere with a mouth call and a gun." I'd be like, Jake, you're you are my advocate. Get out there. That's who uh that's who you need to get on the podcast. Jairs? Yeah. I mean, I know I know like I know he's a good guy, so like he probably doesn't think highly of himself. You know what I mean? He's too humble. But uh do what? I said he he's too humble. Yeah, but the thing is, is that man has a wealth of knowledge about turkey hunting. No, he he knocked off freaking five states in one spring. Just driving. Yeah. On, in, yeah. on weekend hunts. No, he didn't take a single – I don't think he took a single day off to do that. On weekend hunts, he knocked off like five states. I'm telling you, he would be a good one. He'd be a good one to have on there. Yeah. Well, if we get the demand from the audience to have a turkey hunting expert, I, I've got a guy. Yeah. Well, we can ask. We can ask. Hey, we're just going to show up at his house this deer season when we're hunting down there and uh, just put a mic in his face. Well, all I'm saying is – when I go down there, I'm just going to be needing to shoot does. I'll be tagged out, at least in Oklahoma. Oh, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, so that was that. Pretty much wraps up that uh, episode of Hunt Talk. I know turkey hunting may not be the most exciting thing for people that are listening, uh, but hey, it's the off season, and it is what it is. We we got it done, so we thought it'd be fun to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, you ready to move on to the the Q and A portion of the show, Jake? The new segment for the people. Let's do it. All right. So I think we'll try to do just knock out as many questions as we can. Uh, like I said, we're going to try to do three to five on an, any normal podcast, just kind of weaving in what you guys want to know, because this shows for you. So if it's not valuable to you, there's no reason to do it. So I haven't looked at these questions either. So I'm not like, this is just going to be top of the head. You haven't looked at these? Yeah. Nope. All right. So we pulled the TikTok audience and question number one, you, you'll answer first, Jake, and then I'll answer after you. From Henry Hud 8 on TikTok, mm-hmm. he says, Hey, what are some deer rounds you don't recommend? What do you got for us, Jake? I would probably say a 223. Why is that? And the only, only reason I say that is because the time we were attempting the coyote hunt over there at Ketchum. Yep. And, uh, it might, I, I mean, okay, so if you do this intentionally, I think it's illegal, but this wasn't intentional because we were, we were legit trying to coyote hunt, and uh, we did a fawn in distress because there's, there's a buku of, of coyotes over there. We did a fawn in distress, and you had your dad's little, little decoy thing, little tail thing that started fluttering. Yep. We had probably three to five does come stomping in on it and get within 20 yards of this thing, just sitting there stomping and blowing. And we're like, well, it was the special doe day at that time. Yeah, 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 yep. So uh, I had my thirty out six, and then you had your dad's. It was a two twenty three, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it's called. Yeah, I had the freaking AR because we were Kyle hunting. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I shot, you shot, and then uh, I think you shot twice and and hit it twice, and we still never found it. So you hit your deer in the guts with that thirty out six. It ran like yes. a few yards, fell over. I shot the one um, about right behind the shoulder. I mean, hammered with that two twenty three. Did we find any blood? We might have found like a drop or two, but literally that was it. That was it. So you're 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 a no go on the the two twenty three round. I'm gonna say two twenty three, and and like that just. I mean, I'm sure there's worse. Like I'm, I'm sure if you try to shoot a deer behind the shoulder with a twenty two or whatever, like that's probably bad. But just from personal experience, from what I've seen, I wouldn't use a two twenty three. All right. Well, I'm gonna go with. I guess we can say one apiece. Um, one that's really popular. Uh, for coyote hunting, and I feel like it's kind of a crossover. People try to use it as a deer hunting round. Is the 22-250. and that's a round I would not recommend for deer hunting. I have killed deer with it. My first deer I killed with it, and I've killed actually yeah. a buck with it. But it's a fifty-five grain bullet, and it has really high velocity and really good range. I.e., that's why people use it for coyote hunting and predator hunting. But it is not a deer round. And I would not recommend using anything lower than a 243 on on a whitetail, no matter where you're hunting. Yeah, that's understandable. That's understandable for sure. But some people don't have multiple rifles. So if you can only get one, get your like a 243 or a 270, something like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, 30-06 is never bad. So let's uh, let's flip that. What do you think is the best? All around? Mm-hmm. I'm biased, but I would say a 30 out six. Yeah, same. Okay, we're we're on the same page then. Yeah, but then again, I'm not like I'm not like a gun guru. Like I, I think I have. I mean, I have some some guns in my gun cabinet, but the only thing I've ever shot a deer with is a 30 out six. And my dad's old lever actually, like 30 30. But other than that, 30 out six every time. Yep, I agree. 30 out six is the round of choice for me. It's, you just can't afford to shoot it right now in Biden's America, but um, it's a really cool one to have in the closet and look at. Yeah. All right. Question number two. Ooh, comes from our friend, our good friend and repeat offender on the podcast, Chad Allen Jones, mm-hmm. five. Jake, what is your best advice for a first time bow hunter? Hmm. Best advice. I would probably say to just swallow all, I mean, basically every piece of good information you can get your hands on. And if you're a, like first time you're a beginner, I know you're not going to know the difference between good information and bad information, but I would start with uh, Don Higgins outdoors on YouTube. Fantastic. That would be a good recommendation, which I was recommended that from you. So I basically, I might've stole your, no, no, your, yeah, but uh, I would try to absorb his information and then try to try to uh, venture off, and then uh, after that, just mainly get out there. I mean, best way to learn is from experience because I know when I first started, I had many chances of like does because I had a corn pile set out like seven yards. I had many of doe seven yards away, and I and I'm talking with a bow, and completely just missed. So. I've had similar experiences. 
yeah, so, I mean, just get out there. Sooner or later, you'll get lucky. And then after that, you can start getting good. I agree. I think there's two sides to this equation. There's the actual hunting side um, that you can get really good at very quickly. Like you're saying, the Don Higgins stuff, understanding the wind, understanding mm. access, understanding when you can move, how to move. Those are things that you can learn from other people. And I think there's the other side of it, which is being proficient with your equipment. Um, yeah. So you talked about more of like the hunting side. That's where you can learn a lot of stuff from Don and just general hunting knowledge about whitetail. Um, National Deer Association, I think, is another really good resource for learning just basics of hunting in general. But specifically for bow hunting, I would say the the best piece of advice I would have would be to practice with your bow. Practice. Religiously. That. Good one. Religiously. Because you can get the deer, even if you can get the deer under 20 yards, you got to be able to you got to be confident not only in your equipment, but your ability to execute a shot. And, um, I think this is a big fault on most bow hunters, not even just first time bow hunters is not practicing enough. You know, it's like, if you haven't felt your bow break and shoot shots very consistently, you're not going to feel comfortable. You're not going to know when your release breaks. You're not going to know um, how it feels to hold at full draw. If you're not comfortable with your equipment, it's going to show. And the second that that pin touches that animal, here comes old Hail Mary from right field slamming on the trigger with your right finger or your left finger. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just being comfortable with your equipment. If you can only practice, um, I, I would practice every day if it was me, and I would recommend shooting less arrows if, if that's what you need to do. If you gave me the ability to shoot 70 arrows one time a week or 10 arrows seven times a week, I would say 10 seven times a week, just getting comfortable with your bow. Mm-hmm. That would be yeah. my my best advice well, for someone and to kind of add on a little bit to what you're saying uh the thing is is like you can also practice practice at, or, or like try to envision the situation but i mean still i mean i would consider myself a great bow hunter but i feel <laughs> like i know halfway what i'm doing uh-huh. and still like to this day just last year like you can think you're going to stay calm this that and the other but Every single time something actually goes down, a buck walks out in front of you, your mind, at least my mind still does, it just goes haywire. Like, I shut down, basically, and I rely on, uh, oh, what's it called? Muscle memory. Yes. And if I didn't have that, then I would I would be screwed. So, yeah, it goes hand in hand with, uh, with a lot of reps. Yeah, the only way to get muscle memory is reps. And... Even to elaborate a little bit more on that, if you have access to shooting 3D targets, do that. That's a big that's a big jump too. I I will agree with that because after shooting a bag and then we or my my first shot ever at a 3D target was in college when me and you went in halves on that uh what now is my decoy. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, that was a big jump because it just it puts things into perspective. It's like, man, if I shoot low, I'm not just going to hit the bottom of the bag. I'm going to completely miss. And it's the same situation while hunting. It just it just helps. You think that the target is really big when you're shooting at the bag, and then when your pin gets on an actual animal, you'll be like, I don't have enough. I don't have enough room to play here. Like, yeah. and you got to be a killer. So shooting 3D is definitely. I would recommend that. Um, doesn't have to be a tournament. There's a lot of ranges and courses that usually have 3d and i recommend doing that in the summer but if you can't uh i mean i think we all started with a round bell and a feed sack 
and we were just trying to shoot shoot like the cow on the feed sack or something like that. Yeah, and I still don't have a 3D target at my house. I still shoot a bag at my house. It were I shot a bag all year last year before. So you can't it's not gonna adhere your ability to get it done. It's just kind of micro tuning once you start shooting 3d it's just a different something a different look you guys i think you'll enjoy it and it'll make you a better bow hunter oh for sure for sure Um, so number three wait did i did i say yeah i said that one came from chad um number three this comes from rudy hold on hold on chad's unbanned uh different different it was a different account he created a second Uh, account okay wait (laughs) he might have got unbanned i'm gonna have to check that later um, so question number three comes from Rudy Herzberger, 57. He says, what broadhead do you recommend? So you want to go first? No, no, you go ahead. I'm asking Alrighty. the questions here. So I, I think you can get away with any broadhead as long as your arrow setup's right. Ooh. Because I tried – I've. I'm not going to say I've tried them all because I've only literally probably shot maybe three, three different brands, my whole entire hunting career. And, uh, uh, but I have tried fix. I've tried the hybrid like expandables. And then I've tried just the flat out expandables. And right now I'm shooting the, uh, Grim Reaper whitetail specials. And I'm in love with those things. Why are you in love with them? Well, because it's probably just luck, but I'm two for two for the 2021 season. So I think it's just your arrow setup. You'd be in love with any broadhead with that arrow setup. Yeah, see, see, that's yeah, that's why I said that first. But I mean, because you think about it, everything is, I mean, just like bows. You can probably buy any bow and get the job done. You could probably buy any broadhead and get the job done. Like, I don't know. I don't I, know. I agree. You- I agree with that statement. Um, my answer would, I will preface my answer with, I have shot Muzzy. I have shot Rage. I have shot Swacker. Um, I believe I've shot the Fixed Bandable. Um, I've shot Dead Ringer. Um, what else have I shot? I think I've shot the Allen one from Walmart. Yeah, that's literally what I was going to um, say. That's, I've shot the, NA, the NAP. Uh, the, it's like a, um, a hybrid. I've, sh- I just listed seven right there broadheads and just like you said any of those will kill an animal with the right arrow setup and if your bow um, is in tune and you're accurate with it now what have i killed the most animals with would probably be a schwacker um so an expandable yes we shoot fairly heavy arrows 525 grains including the broadheads and um so I believe, like you said, I think the arrow setup is more important than the broadhead. I think any broadhead will work. Um, one of the ones that we're excited to try out is Thorn. They have a pretty unique design. So Thorn broadhead is going to be maybe one we try out in the fall, but I have had the most success and the most failure um, with Swackers. So, But long, that's a long answer to say whatever you can afford. It doesn't matter. If you get, get can afford the seven dollar Allen ones from Walmart, you can so, you can kill a deer oh, with ahead. those. But I think we need to preference like like kind of go into a little bit more detail. And I think you need to because I'm I'm not too savvy with with all that. I basically stole your arrow setup, but I'm gonna kind of turn the tables on you. 
if someone is shooting a lighter arrow, it'd be best to use a fixed broadhead, correct? Yes, I would recommend a fixed head. If Why you if you are capped out, like say you have a uh, say you have like a twenty four inch draw length, you're shooting a youth bow. Mm. Um, there's only obviously there's only so long your arrow can get, and there's only so heavy that your arrow can get. Even shooting something that's say um, a two forty spine or something, which would not be recommended for your bow, based based on your spine and your draw length, that arrow can only get so long, and since it's shorter, it can only be so heavy. So if your arrow is 350 grains with a broadhead, you don't really have the power that you're going to have uh, a, a heavier draw and a heavier arrow. So you don't want, I wouldn't recommend shooting something that's cut on contact like an expandable um, just because you really need speed and, and weight to drive that arrow through the animal. So I would want something that was cut on contact and something that if I didn't get a pass through, I would still be satisfied with it because you and I, when we're shooting our bows, we're always counting on a pass through. I expect a pass through because yeah. we're shooting heavy arrows and we're shooting good, sharp broadheads. If I don't get a pass through, I'm upset on a youth bow. How often do you see people getting pass throughs? Oh, never, not often, never. not often. So let's say that that broadhead doesn't deploy and get all the good stuff and go through the other side and you have two really good holes. That's the, that is the advantage of an expandable is those two massive cuts on either side of the animal. They're going to give you an awesome blood trail to find it easily. So with a fixed, you might not get as good of a blood trail, but you're for sure going to do some damage, even if you don't get maximum penetration. So I would, I would want something that's going to do damage as soon as it hits the animal. If I cannot count on a pass through. Mm -hmm. So, so what if you have a, let's say like, our setups because I'm, cause I'm shooting a 74 pound, uh, draw weight. And then, uh, what am I like? 28 and a half. Length? Yeah. Yeah. 28 and, then, and a half, uh, 29, something like that. Yeah. So would you recommend a expandable or a fixed blade? Whichever you want. doesn't yeah, matter. Okay. I, I, I personally shoot an expandable. Um, I've shot fixed. The thing that I love about the expandable is no tuning required. I yeah, don't, so I don't like tuning my bow for my broadhead because I like to shoot targets a lot in between hunts and I don't also, want something like that. Yeah. The reason we switched from fixed to expandable is just because a, our bows can handle it and, and also our arrows can. And then B we're primarily hunting public land and where we hunt, it's pretty thick or it can get pretty thick. And so we would like a decent size hole. For tracking you know nice blood trail this that and the other and so that's literally the only reason we think we switched from fixed to expandable the spot that we hunt if an animal gets out of sight your odds of finding it go down exponentially because of how tall the grass is and how thick it is when you get on the ground so that's what you're saying with us is like we need yes. devastation like we need a blood trail because if we don't have that that's that's everything where we hunt if you hunt winter wheat fields and you shoot deer and you watch them run 200 yards and fall over it's probably won't be as big of a deal for you um but we need that for where we hunt agree so, I yeah i think we covered that pretty well cool that was a long answer for that but there you go on the fixed or or what broadheads we shoot 
Um, so we got an Oklahoma native in here, uh, Hanky Hunts, which he makes a he makes a lot of videos on TikTok, and he's an Oklahoma guy, so rep it. Yeah. He says, Hanky Hunts says, how for question number four, how long do you leave a camera without a picture of a shooter buck before moving it on public? Immediately. But it also depends if we have like history. If it's like a brand new spot and we leave it for when we first started hunting that piece of public, we like checked it probably, probably shouldn't have did this, but we checked it like every three to four weeks. Right. And if we didn't have any good pictures on there, then it immediately got moved. But that's not to say that just because they're not there during the summer, they're not going to fall there. True. So, uh, I mean, I guess just play it by ear. Like there's a lot of sign there from the previous year and it's just so all situational. So, I mean, but just from a blunt answer, if there's no big deer there, move. Generally speaking, if we feel like we have allotted a decent amount of time, a month, three to three weeks to a month, and we there's not something that we're interested in hunting in that spot right now, we will move the camera. Mm-hmm. Because in our mind, the reason we one of the reasons that we hunt public is the access to a lot of land. And if there is not something there on that camera, they are somewhere else. And that yeah. camera is not being used the way it should be. You agree with that? I like it. All right. So we've got from from question number five comes from user IY9SK9NYPY. You could pick a better name, but that's a cool name, I guess. He says, how do you hunt personally? Out of a tree stand, spot and stock, something like that? Uh, it depends uh, because we probably, like I just said, we probably hunt, I'd probably say, 70 to 80% of the time on public and then the rest on private because you got a lease and then I got some family land. Yep. And most of the time, on private, I'm hunting out of a blind, but next year, the way it's kind of looking, I might be hunting out of a stand more. And uh, on public, originally I was I was in a climber, you're in a saddle, but I'm really hoping that uh, at the end of this summer, I want to snag me a nice cruiser. Nice little cruiser saddle. Nice little cruiser saddle. To answer your question uh, quickly. I have traditionally hung, hunted out of hang-on tree stands for probably the last three years and the, the four years previous to that climbers because we hunt in a place where every tree is a good tree for climbing with straight and no limbs. But most recently in the last year, I switched to a saddle because the weight, the mobility, the ability for any tree to be a good tree to sit in. So that's how I primarily hunt. And but but if you're not a like if you haven't gotten in the saddle game yet, would you recommend a hang on more or a climber? Depends where you hunt. If you hunt in a place where every tree is straight and doesn't have limbs, so pines is a really good example, um, a place with a lot of pines, then I would recommend a climber. But if you hunt in a place where there's a lot of limbs on a tree, say oaks or something that are bigger that you can't get your uh, climber around then i would recommend a hang on 
Or if you yeah. hunt private land and you're not jumping around very often, I'd recommend a hang on or a ladder stand. Yeah, yep, yeah, I agree. I'm not going to say anything more, or else we're just going to have a situation of Pete and repeat. <laughs> there we go. Um, so an, another couple from Hanky Hunts, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, he says, "What is the accuracy of?" This is question number six. Hanky Hunts accuracy of aging a deer into yearly age classes. How accurate and, do you think that is? Into what age classes? He said, what is the accuracy of aging deer into yearly age classes? So what I think he's asking is, how accurate do you think you are when you're aging a deer into classes? Like one-year-old, one-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half, four-and-a-half. Uh, I don't – I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a biologist, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you are you are a biologist. No. Uh, I think – I think it depends on where you're at. Uh, I mean, because – we're from Oklahoma, so I, I feel like we we kind of know what a three-year-old looks like. We know what a four-year-old looks like. Uh, I don't even know if I've ever seen a damn five-year-old. But, uh, yeah, so we kind of generally know what they look like as an Oklahoman. But if I went to Kansas, like like up, up north Kansas, whatever, and where they got huge bodies, I don't think I'll be able to tell the difference between a two-, three-, or four-year-old. Mm. So I'm just going to put it like that. Yeah. Kind of like everything in hunting, it's situational, but I think Dallas Barber, um, big game biologist, state of Oklahoma said it really well on a Facebook post in one of the Oklahoma hunting forums. He said, I think it's easier on the hoof to put animals in, um, like bigger classes. So what I mean is two and a half and younger, three and a half and four and a half, five and a half plus. I think that's easier than saying that deer's three and a half for sure. No way he's a four and a half year old. Well, how do you know that? How do you know if his brother doesn't eat all the food and he can't eat any? Like you just yeah. you just don't know. I think it's easier if you have yearly history with deer, then I think it's a much easier to identify a very accurate age if you've seen that deer year after year after year. But if you're that's judging one on the hoof, yeah, I think it's easier to say that deer is mature or immature for me i just look if that deer's four and a half and up that's going to be a shooter for me if i think that deer's three and a half and below that's not going to be a shooter for me well on depends private. on on private yes on, private. Yeah, on public it, you want to you want to hear my measuring stick on public <laughs> Let's hear it. man that one got me excited yeah no that's literally. it <laughs> i think i think your uncle said it the best if you first see it and it make you go oh shit then it ain't big enough. Don't shoot it. Yeah. Because you immediately know. But uh no, a good example would be uh would be the kickstand buck. True. Because we thought it was like what three or four, and then all of a sudden uh one of our buddies that also hunt down there, he had like a previous two or maybe even three years worth of pictures on him. So we figured out that deer is about seven. Yeah, we he had a very distinct one side on his rack. This is a public land buck, and Coop had pictures of him from 2017, and we had our first picture of him in 2020, and we're like, man, this looks like a you know a nice buck, and we're like, oh no, he was like six years old, and we've got the first picture of him. Yep, and then we found him last year, right? And yep. then he was downhill. So yeah, he's he's about seven. Yeah, pretty awesome. 
So I think the easiest way is to hunt on private and understand year after year what one looks like. But if you're on public, just putting them in age classes, I think is is best. But the accuracy of it, I don't think any time you can be 100% sure until you have harvested the animal and sent the teeth off. And even that is proving to be not as accurate as we thought. So that's well, that just proves it's like it's not even that big of a deal, because the thing is, is the chances of you seeing a buck or even getting on camera year to year is very, very, very slim. And so the best way to do it is probably buy cameras just for history. But the only way you can do that is on private. So if you're, if you're like mainly hunt public land, you really don't even have to worry about it, to be honest. I agree. All right. Last question. We'll wrap it up. We will. Dang. We let Hank have three questions here. It's a lucky day. Um, so question number seven, Hank hunt, Hanky hunts asks, what does ideal bedding for a whitetail look like? I wouldn't know. <laughs> what does it look like? I wouldn't know, dude. Uh, because on the private I hunt, she probably has, I don't know, 200 acres, maybe, maybe more, but maybe five to 10 of that is just woods. And none of it is, is, is bedding. That's all in the neighbors. So, so you're I don't on, know. You're on the neighbor's bedding. I mean, I'm you dirty, you dirty thief. I'm, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Everybody else is doing it. Don't get me started on neighbors hunting by the fence. Yeah, that's true. That's a different. That's a different so, subject for a different time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then on where we hunt down on public, they bet everywhere. So it's just I'm I'm not the person to ask about this. I'll be completely honest. I I don't know enough about it. We're not experts on buck bedding but if i had to say what is ideal for a buck generally in in any type of environment the thickest nastiest thing you can find deer don't do what with with no yeah with little to no human intrusion and i think what's mentioned what's worth mentioning is that deer change their beds often like a buck has a different bed for each wind direction a buck where we hunt on public he doesn't bed in the same spot every day and they're just roamers. So I, I, if you're just asking about ideal bedding in general, I would say the thickest, nastiest portion of your property or the piece of public. Because deer, deer have really good senses, but the best way to stack the odds in your favor is to be in a spot where nothing can walk up to you without you hearing or smelling it. So that's, that's what I would say ideal buck bedding is, is thick spots and mature bucks we've talked about, we haven't talked about sanctuaries on our podcast. If you want to learn more about sanctuaries, um, chasing giants podcast is a great way with Don Higgins, but I think ideal betting in general is the thickest, nastiest thing that you can find. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, like whitetails can live anywhere. Like they're super, super adaptable. They can live. I mean, if you've seen seek one, uh, they can live in the damn cities and they can live in the thickest, nastiest thing, swampland you can imagine. Yep. So, I think it all just depends. Obviously, there has to be food and water, like that's given, and there's got to be cover. But wherever there's no humans, that's where they're probably going to be. That's a good point. I think they have to adapt for the environment that they live in. Like, you might not have a ton of thick bedding where you live, but there's still deer. Oh, they, for sure. So it's so it's very situational, but I think that's optimally where they would want to be. 
and that's relative. Yeah. That might be four sticks and two leaves in your property, but for me, it might be a hundred acre switchgrass that's never been mm-hmm. walked through ever. So that's just a general statement. But that is all the questions that we fielded um, from TikTok. We got 20 comments um, from people um, on TikTok wanting us to answer these questions on the podcast. So uh, if you guys enjoyed that, make sure to send us some questions on our next TikTok video when we ask for them. We're going to start doing these Q&As on the podcast weekly. I like that. Those are fun. I like those because they're run and gun. You never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. (laughs) <laughs> okay force game yeah. exactly so hey a quick update for you guys uh we officially have the merch website going it is huntersadvantagemerch.com yeah. if you want if you want to pick up one of the camo or black hats it's the only thing we have on there right now those blacked out ones are pretty slick pretty slick uh you guys want to pick uh, up one of those we will have the link in the show notes and if you're from tiktok uh go to the homepage of our profile and uh just read the directions pretty simple you'll see it yeah so but uh also another update uh you want to update about kansas yeah we have um we have officially paid the piper for kansas that's how i'll say it uh 550 for a non-resident application uh, to hunt yeah, whitetail i know i'm not going to say that number again because it hurts but um we're in the middle of a recession but anyways we <laughs> we we put in for Kansas officially, pulled the trigger, and we, we will know at the end of this month if we drew out, and that will drastically change our season plans based on how that draw goes out. So me, Jake, and Peyton all put in for that draw, and we're waiting eagerly for the results. Cooping them at uh, the Public Pretenders. Yeah, you, y'all haven't heard of them? Go check out their YouTube. Coop does a really good job on his videos. Uh, they They also put in for Kansas, so... It'll be exciting. If they get in and we get in, maybe we can do like a little map scout challenge, map scout challenge or something. Yeah, and uh, Outdoor Defiance, another page that uh, Taylor Smith oh. and Gunnar Womack, they uh, that they do, um, they are going to do. They're going to put in for Kansas as well, or they have already put in for Kansas. So we got a few buddies that are putting in, and hopefully we can do some sort of video um, about it, and if at very least fun. do some podcasts about Kansas. It should be fun. Should be fun. But hey, if you guys are listening, you enjoyed the show, leave us a rating and review. And we'll catch you guys in the next episodes. Any closing thoughts, Jake? Man, I don't know. Be nice to people, I guess. And uh, grab a hat. There we go. We'll catch you guys (laughs) in the next one. Peace. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.